So we're going to dive into our message for today. Um, if you um, have your Bibles with you, you're going to want to open them up, and we are going to be all over the place really this morning, but we're going to be in Acts, we're going to be in uh, John, 1 Corinthians, um, a number of things that I want to look at with you today. Um, this, of course, is the penultimate weekend in the year. It's the most amazing and life-changing um, weekend that we celebrate as the church. And it's not just for the church that this weekend is so powerful and important. People would think it is, and people do come to church on Sunday uh, for this particular week, but it is for the whole world, really. The most important Sunday, the most important day that we celebrate ever, really. Um, the cross, which we reflected on on Good Friday, is really the axis of human history, if you think about it. I like to point this out from time to time, and I will again this morning, because I think it's important. Regardless of what some may believe, um, all we've got when it comes to intelligible human thought and, and writings and messages, whether it's on papyrus or scrolls or on the walls of caves, is only about eight to 12,000 years old, and that's based on science and archaeologists. And, and so that's all we've actually got is that length of time when it comes to intelligent thought and writing. And until the cross, that, that's all we have with human history. And it's interesting, up until the cross, we, we, if you look at dating, right, it's been going down to the cross. And then you get to the cross and it's year, well, the life of Jesus, it's year zero. And since that time, we're counting forward to, everybody know where we're at today? 2018, right? That's all. 2018 years since that time. And so that's why I say the cross, the life of Jesus, is the hinge for all of life. So the whole world, whether or not they want to worship him on Sunday, on Easter Sunday, uh, should, because this is the key. He is the reason. It's all about this one person. And, you know, here's the thing that I, I mean, they've changed from B.C. to, you know, B.C.E. and A.D. to whatever. And at some point in time, somebody's going to go, well, we need to, let's come up with a new date because everybody must know this. It's the date that it is today because of one man and one life. And his name is Jesus Christ. Amen. That's remarkable. It's awesome. So welcome to Resurrection Sunday, and I want to tell you a little bit about my job here this Sunday. Um, you may not know this, uh, <laughs> most of you may not know this, but us pastors, like when we were, you were studying to preach God's Word, you know, we're always reading. I'm reading all the time. I'm reading commentaries. I'm reading articles. I'm reading the Word, of course, the Bible, and I'm praying a lot. And then, then oftentimes I'll go around and I'll start, you know, like reading articles and thoughts by other pastors, and we share a lot of things amongst each other, and usually for encouragement or exhortation, whatever. And it's something you may not know about this, but every pastor that I know, they write about this, and I read a few articles this week about this, they look at Easter Sunday as the most high-pressure Sunday of the year, right? It's because, like, we've been in the Gospel of Luke, and we're just preaching through it, and everything's good, and I'm just doing my job, and then Easter Sunday comes along, and, and there's some serious pressure, right? It's on this day, on Easter Sunday, for some reason, people believe that my job, my job is to get up, to, up here and prove to you that Jesus rose from the dead, right? That's, that's what a lot of people think, and <laughs> there's a few people nodding. No, that is not my job, but there are Many pastors, I felt that pressure many years ago that, you know, we need to get here. We need to, we need to have proof. We need to prove this particular event to people, that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead. But think about it. Think about that. For those of you who absolutely do believe 100%, no question, in your heart of hearts, in your minds, factually, scientifically, whatever you might want to call it, that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead, that He is the Son of God, 
and that he literally did die, was buried, and did rise from the grave, and is alive today, sitting at the right hand of the Father. Do any of you actually remember a single sermon, a high-pressure moment, where you were convinced through a message on the, resu- uh, the resurrection, completely convinced on that day that, yeah, that sermon was so awesome, he was amazing, it, like, I, I got it all, I'm a believer now. Anybody? Or even a series on the resurrection? Probably not. Probably not. Most of us uh, have not arrived at it that way. So let's look at it this way. I'm relatively, relatively certain you would say this. No, that wasn't the reason why I came to believe. Um, it, it wasn't something or someone that convinced me of my main arguments, although those are important. We have those discussions about the Bible and about science and facts and creation and all those things. No, it wasn't any of those things. It wasn't a person. It wasn't a man. It wasn't a preacher. No. Those things all contributed, sure. Sure. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it was Jesus. And it was the Holy Spirit of God. It was His Word, just read and opened, that changed my mind and my heart about the truth of my sin my need for forgiveness, which then led to my repentance, forgiveness, and receiving the Holy Spirit full on into my heart and into my life. From there and from that alone, I believed. You know, I, I don't know about most of you here, but I, I became a Christian at 23 years of age, raised Catholic, but became a Christian. And I didn't have all of the things about Jesus and about science and about creation and all of the Bible answered for me on day one. It was just a simple thing that was answered for me, and that is, I'm a sinner. I need help. He's the Son of God. He died for me. He bled for me. And because of Him, I can be forgiven, and I can have eternal life. And I believe, I believe that He rose from the dead. Changed everything. You see, here's what most people are willing to believe. I think about Jesus, if you think about it, right? Most people are willing to believe a few things about Jesus. And every preacher who preaches on Sunday, like Easter Sunday, is usually faced with, quite frankly, a, a more, um, let's put it this way, diverse audience. And I, I, don't, I haven't talked to many of you beforehand, so please don't any of you take this you know, personally or the wrong way. But there are really today here probably people who are regular attenders of the Rock Church, members of the Rock Church. I know you are here. I see you. Uh, committed. Um, uh, believe and, and faith in Jesus and the resurrection. But then there are also some of you who are here who are continuing on a journey toward God and Jesus, but maybe not quite there yet. Maybe the light hasn't gone on, uh, the penny dropped yet. And so that's okay. That's good. You're here, and, and that's good. You need to be here with us each week. And so there are also, though, that there are probably some people here who are kind of like, um, when I was a Catholic, I was like this, you know, like the Christmas and Easter Christians, right? Those are the big events, and so if I go then, I'm good. Like, I check that box, and I'm, that's, I'm good. Christmas and Easter makes it. But it's also possible that there are some here who were maybe bribed, <laughs> you, know, you know, like, if you come today, I'll stop bugging you, right? A bribe to come here or um, tricked into coming because, come on, there are some people maybe who, who wanted you to come here today because he will convince you. I haven't been able to, but he will. So there you go. There's the pressure again. So if you're here, any of, the, uh, of you are here, that's great. So here's what I think you are willing to believe. All of us are willing to believe about Jesus. Three things. First, most reasonable, I think, and rational people and educated people believe, believe. 
there was a real person. There was a real person a few thousand years ago who walked the earth whose name was, of course, Jesus Christ. Um, and, and they're willing to say, listen, come on, I mean, facts, history, it, it's, it's decided. I mean, there's enough evidence for that that I'm willing to check that box and say, yep, I believe that. Secondly, many will also agree that Jesus led a very interesting life, <laughs> and they've heard some of the things that he said or even read the Bible a little bit, um, or maybe they've, they've heard of Gandhi and, you know, he loved the Sermon on the Mount and he built his whole philosophy of nonviolence on that. And so, you know, people would be willing to say, you know, not, listen, he was not only a real historical person, but he was a very interesting person, a wise man. I mean, he preached beautiful sermons. It was about God's love and, and you know, real moral teachings. And so, yeah, yeah, I, I can accept that. He was a rabbi and, and he was a good man and, and you know, people should, uh, should accept that and believe that because it's, it's verifiable. It's true. Thirdly, most people would also say there is overwhelming evidence for this as well. Most would say, yes, you know what, I believe. I believe that there was a crucifixion. I believe it. It's historically written about, not only in the Bible, but uh, many Jewish historians, three of them in particular, Josephus, Pliny the Younger. I like that guy, Pliny the Younger. I don't know how you got the name Pliny, but... And, and Seleucus... There were, there were three. If you go read, Google them, you can read them. And they wrote about the crucifixion. They're Jewish historians who wrote about the Romans crucifying this man who could claim to be the Messiah. So no trouble, no problem. Three things. He historically did live. I, I get that. Number two, he was wise and he preached great sermons and some people believed him and followed him and thought that maybe he was going to be the Messiah. But then he got killed. <laughs> he was crucified, dead, buried, gone. That's the extent to which many will believe. Many will believe only to that point. And so many will say, look, I, I believe those three things, so good, look, I'm a believer. Done, right? No, not quite. Not quite. When it comes to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead on the Sunday following the burial, something he told his disciples multiple times was going to happen. Multiple times he predicted, I I'm going to go to Jerusalem they're going to put me to death, but I will rise on the third day. Three times he, at least in the Gospels, mentioned that. Well, at that point, I think this question, many people will say, well, I'm sorry. I just can't believe that. I just cannot believe that. I can believe all those other things about Jesus, but I, I can't go there. I can't believe that one thing. Well, then the question has to be, why? Why? Why cannot, why will many people not believe that? Do you know why you do not believe if you're here today in the resurrection? Do you even know why? Possibly? The Jewish historians I mentioned earlier all also wrote about the resurrection. Not that they believed it happened, but they wrote the story, including Pliny. He goes on a little bit about the fact that there was a search for the body. So historians wrote about it, that there was apparently a resurrection, and they never did find the body. Well, that's not true. His disciples <laughs> saw him, as we're going to see from Scripture today. So I'm going to tell you why, as we conclude today, suspense, why I believe most people cannot or will not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It might surprise some of you here today why I think that is true, and you probably will understand. 
So to get things started, let's have a look at some of the many appearances of Jesus. The many appearances. Just going to fly through the Scripture, the, the appearances of Christ, and it, it's, it's remarkable just to refresh our minds about the fact that, yes, over a period of 40 days, Jesus rose and was seen by many people. And it's beautiful how it's laid out for us in the Scripture in the first days and the days that followed. Actually, Dr. Luke, the author of the gospel that we've been going through um, for the last four months, and he also wrote the book of Acts, as you know. And he begins that book again to his dear friend Theophilus, who he's writing to, who he wants to have certainty in his faith in Christ. He writes these words in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, where it says this, And he, Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many infallible proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. It's just one very brief verse that summarizes a lot of things, and I love the fact that he ends it with, and the gospel, the book of Acts, I should say, starts with preaching the kingdom of God by Jesus, and, and then it ends with the Apostle Paul preaching the kingdom of God. Jesus is always on mission, right? He's risen from the dead, no fanfare, no exploding parade or bombs or lights going off. No, he just he appears to his disciples and just keeps preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Repent. Place your faith in me. And so Luke summarizes the days following Jesus' resurrection by saying this. He presented himself. I love that. He presented himself. No one else dug him up, right? He wasn't resuscitated by somebody, by a doctor, right? Or tended to him as some would suggest that he didn't really die, that he just swooned, which is what one of the Jewish historians suggests. Because Luke tells us that he presented himself alive, Wait a second, meaning that he had to be in another state beforehand, right? Which is dead, which he was. So when? Well, after his suffering and how? How did Jesus present himself? With many infallible proofs. It's not my job <laughs> to convince you of these things. It's Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit's job. He does it way better than any preacher. Just listen to him and read what he says. So not a few proofs or evidences, but many. And then he tells how long? For 40 days. Again, we saw this last week, and you see this in every record of the, of the Scripture, often many records, I should say, where there's numbers given, 153 fish they caught, right? And, and on and on. Like, why these details? Because it's news. It's not fiction. We're reporting on real events that took place. So just for clarity and for anyone who might be thinking that Jesus didn't fully die, again, all the Jewish historians say that he did, and that... It was confirmed by the Romans as well as the Sanhedrin. John records this in his gospel. In John chapter 19, verses 33 and 34, he says, But when they came to Jesus, so this is at Calvary, at Golgotha, when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. So blood and water is a technical medical term that tells us that the heart has given out, that the person is dead. Not only did that spear probably pierce his heart, but with water pouring out like that, at the level of which they're suggesting here, it means death has come to that body. So many years later, the Apostle Paul you all know this, he came to meet Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, in a very dramatic way on the road to Damascus on his way to 
kill Christians and put this sect out of its misery. And all these people running around for years saying we, he's, he's alive. That's why we're going to continue to do what he told us to do, which is to preach the gospel everywhere and tell you to repent because Jesus is alive. And, and Paul's like, okay, we got to stop this. And he, he, but years later, like it's probably 10 years later, he writes these words. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, to Peter, then to the twelve. And then he adds this, Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the prophets. And at that point, he goes on and talks about it. And then he, then he appeared to me, <laughs> lowly old me, Paul. So Paul, a faithful and highly regarded Jewish Pharisee, who had also given himself to, as I said, exterminating this crazy sect who just wouldn't give up preaching this risen Jesus, also after meeting the resurrected Jesus, comes to faith, gives up, everything, including his life, to plant churches, preach the gospel. And here he adds the 40 days that Jesus appeared to, look, more than 500 people at one time. I mean, it's a little bit like he's saying, listen, <laughs> listen, if you don't believe me, go ask these people. They're still alive. Go ahead. Now, come on. Paul was a Pharisee, very well-educated man. It would be kind of dumb to do that, wouldn't it? To say, listen, there are people who are still alive who saw him, like 500 of them at one time. You just go and find them. Many, many of them are still alive, and I'm alive. Go, go find them and talk to them, and they'll tell you the same thing. That'd be dumb to say that if it weren't true, if it wasn't true. So it's verifiable. Guess who may have been one of the guys who might have taken Paul up on that? Do you know who began to follow him right around the time he started writing to the Corinthians, a man by the name of Dr. Luke. <laughs> and how did he accumulate his whole gospel in the book of Acts? By interviewing all of the people who knew Jesus, including his mother. So that's kind of interesting. So let's look briefly at some of these beautiful 40-day appearances for a bit of a recap, because really they are wonderful. I think most of you know this, that the first appearance by Jesus, physically resurrected from the dead, was to one woman in particular, but to a number of women. And of course, it was a shocking thing, an amazing thing, uh, that Jesus would appear to women in that day because, um, well, first of all, the way women were treated and, and, and considered um, not really uh, God's first choice to uh, hear from Him or be able to speak about Him, but also their testimony wasn't considered... Reliable. So that's kind of interesting uh, that Jesus would appear, first of all, to a woman. We'll also see that even Jesus' apostles didn't believe the women, right? So that gives testimony to the fact that people in that day just didn't trust the word of a woman. But Jesus is like, no, that's okay. I'm going to appear to Mary Magdalene. And then some of the other women are going to see me first as well. It's really wonderful. In John chapter 20, it tells us the beautiful story of Mary Magdalene. Um, it's another proof or, or evidence, I think, if you think about it. Um, why would these women make this up? Think about that. Why would these women who know that people aren't going to believe what they have to say 
and their testimony, why would they make this up? Well, what's more, more even remarkable than that, I think, is that when they go and tell Peter and John, they don't believe them, right? They don't believe them, which is par for the course, I guess, in the culture and the day. But what's even more amazing is they record the fact that the women were told, the women told them, and they didn't believe them. You see, that doesn't happen again in fictional writing. It doesn't happen in any of the other sacred scriptures of any other religion, by the way, where the actual followers, the men following Jesus, admit and write it down. So that's, it's awesome the way this is recorded. Uh, it's Mary Magdalene that first appears in John 20, and, and it's, it opens by telling us that she went to the tomb very early in the morning on Sunday. It's like she couldn't sleep. Very early in the morning would probably be for a Jewish person, four or five o'clock in the morning, so it's still dark. And you got to wonder, why is she doing this? Well, she wasn't one of the women, the other women that are named later, who were going with the spices. And you see, Jesus was taken off the cross before the Sabbath began at 6 p.m. on the Friday, and so they didn't have time to fully prepare his body. So the other women were going to the tomb to finish the job of, of um, preparing his body. Not Mary Magdalene. Why is she going there? She loved them deeply. He loved her deeply. Do you think maybe she's going there because she hopes what he said was true? She believed him. He said he's going to rise from the dead. I got to go. I got to go. And so we read these words in verses 11 and 12, recorded by John. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. So she arrives there, and there are no Roman guards. The tomb is open. The cords, the big, thick ropes are just shattered and open, and she's, she's, she doesn't know what's happening. And she looks in, and she sees the linens all folded up, laid on the table where he, his body should have been. He's gone. And then there are these angels who speak to her. They ask her why she's weeping, and she's telling them what she told the apostles. She senses something behind her, and she thinks the man must be a gardener. He asks her why she is weeping and whom she is seeking. Now, can you imagine that? She steps out, and, and she sees a man who she thinks is the gardener. And she then says to this man, Sir... If you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. I love these verses. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Tender, loving, as he reveals himself to her. In Mark and Luke's Gospels, uh, they identify the other women, as I mentioned, who also came to the tomb. They were Mary, Salome, Joanna, and at least one other. There are a couple of other key appearances that I want to tell you about that I think are amazing on this day. We're actually going to look at pretty much all of them, but two important ones that happen on this day. So there's the, the women who come to the tomb, Mary in particular, whose heart is broken. She's like, she can't believe he's dead. She's hoping against hope that he really did rise. And then, th then he comes to her, 
and reveals himself to her. The first person to have Jesus reveal himself to her or to them alive. But there are a couple of disciples who have decided at some point on Sunday that it's done. It's over. And uh, most commentators believe it is a couple, a man and a woman, and they're from a little town called Emmaus, and they've decided to head home. And they're dejected. They're, they're dejected. And all the well, well, while they're walking on the road, they're talking about them, and they're talking about the events that happened, and, and, and they're just... Um, they're just so sad that, 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 that you know, he said he was going to rise from the dead, and they've waited, obviously not all day, right? And, and then it says in verse, uh, Luke 24, verses 13 and 14, that very day two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And as they're walking along on this path, and again, I try to imagine it in my own mind as I read the Scripture in this passage, which I love very much, but you can just imagine they're walking on a dirt road and then there's a fork in the road that, you know, Jesus just comes walking along and all of a sudden he's walking along with them. And his words are kind of like, why are you so sad? Tell me what happened. And at first they're like, like they can tell he's a Jewish man and they're kind of like, where have you been? Like, have you not heard what's been going on in Jerusalem? Have you not heard about this man, Jesus? And, and they're just, they're just they, they can't believe that Jesus, who's walking with them, who they don't just recognize quite yet, doesn't know what has happened. It's such a loving picture that we see. And so all of a sudden, Jesus says to them, well, why don't you sit down here? And he starts to tell them about himself through the prophets, how the prophets predicted in the Old Testament that the Son of God would be born and he would be crucified and he would be buried and that he would rise again on the third day. And then he, he breaks bread with them. And again, some commentators think as he broke bread, they saw his pierced wrists. But it does tell us in the Scripture, at that point, at that point, they knew he was Jesus. And then we read, And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. And has appeared to Simon. And they found that out from Jesus. It's another beautiful picture, isn't it? I mean, Jesus, we found and we read in Acts 1-3 that he's, he's, he's appeared, he's many infallible proofs, and, and he's preaching the kingdom of God, and he's, he's appearing to Mary Magdalene, a, a disciple whom he loves very much and who loves him very much. And then there's two dejected people walking home, giving up, and he's like, no, 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 no. And he goes and gets them, and he points them back to Jerusalem, back to the body, back to the family, back to the church. It's a beautiful picture. I love that picture very much. This, there is also, uh, of course, uh, the key appearance on the first day, um, evening of that first day, which we all know very well in John chapter 20, verse 19, on the evening now of that day, the Sunday, the first day of the week. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So we have 10 of the apostles hiding out in a locked room and Jesus makes a miraculous appearance to them. And again, I mean, you got to think about the circumstances here. They're in the room, they're huddling for fear of the Jews because they think, well, they killed Jesus, they're coming for us next, right? There's only 10 of them there, right? Because Judas is no longer with them. But somebody else is also missing. But the walls, are, the doors are closed. The windows are closed. And Jesus appears. 
walk through the wall. No, he appears in their midst. And it's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture. But there's somebody missing, right? <laughs> there's a guy missing. Thomas. He's one of the apostles who's missing. Maybe he's the guy who thought this was an April Fool's joke. Had to get that in there. It's being recorded. Somebody was expecting it. But think about it, right? He's not there. He's another one who's dejected, and he's not with the disciples. He's out in the streets. Maybe he's hiding somewhere else. And, and he's, he's, I mean, people call him Doubting Thomas. I don't think so. He's not the only one who needed to see the body of Jesus. But then, then he comes back later, and, and the disciples say to him, we, we've seen Jesus. He's alive. And he's like, no, 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 no. No, don't fool me like that. Don't try to trick me like that. No, I'm telling you, I'll tell you what. Unless I see the, the nail prints in his hands and, and his side myself, unless I see it for myself, his body, physically, him, alive, I will not believe. Now, for some of you here today who are saying, you know what, I won't believe in the resurrection or I will not believe, there's good news for you. Jesus will still come to you. <laughs> a week later, a week later, Thomas this time is like, well, just in case, it's Sunday, you know, I'll be with the disciples, and he's with them, and Jesus appears to him. He appears to him. I'm going to skip through a verse because I, I actually missed this one, but it says in verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and the side, then the disciples were glad that they saw him. So the disciples had seen the, what I had said. They'd seen him and his hands and his feet. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So they had evidence. They believed. That's what Thomas was demanding. He was asking for it. It's reasonable, isn't it? It's reasonable when you think about it. But after all that, when, when Jesus appears to Thomas, he's there. On this, this week later, he appears to Thomas. You can imagine Thomas's heart and his mind. He must have been shocked. He's kind of maybe, maybe shaking a little bit, you know. I, I didn't believe this. And there he is right in front of me. And then verses 28 and 27 say this. Then Jesus said to Thomas, I, I, I don't know, come on. He's, a, he's an unbeliever. He refused to believe unless he saw. And Jesus comes back a week later for one man. Ah, I think that's so remarkable. Not only for one man, but he says, I'll give you what you want. Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. I don't believe for a second he reached out his hand and touched him. Do you? He believed. He trusted. This concludes actually the appearances of Jesus on the first day. There are five more appearances over the next 39 days. First, the one in John 20, 21, which we've actually went over a couple of weeks ago, where Jesus appears to the seven disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee, and, and they've been out fishing, right? And, and he tells them to fish on the right side, and they catch all that fish, and they come back to the shore, and, and Jesus is there, and they, they just, they just, Peter himself, of course, flings himself into the water and comes running to Jesus. It's a, another beautiful picture, but Jesus uses that opportunity opportunity again for one man to repair the relationship and, and to take the shame and the guilt away from Peter by restoring him to fellowship with him, forgiving him really for denying him three times 
but asking him three times, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And so Jesus eats with them. He brings them into fellowship with him. And he restores Peter, the man who he would charge to build his church as one of his apostles. It's amazing. So finally, Jesus appears to his disciples on a mountaintop in Galilee where he prepares them for the mission. You guys all know this in ministry. In Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20, he gives them the great commission. He says, all authority has been given to me. He's alive. He's getting close to ascending at that point. He's giving and passing the torch to these men and the rest of the disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to baptize people, to teach them. He says these words. You all know them. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All that I have commanded you. And then on day 40, he appears one last time. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says to them just before ascending, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So wait. Wait here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And what is it that they are to be witnesses of, do you think? The resurrected Jesus, (laughs) standing right in front of them. And that's what they do. (laughs) That's what they preach. That's what I preach. That's what we preach. That's all we've got. Yes, he was a real historical figure. Yes, he preached amazing sermons and great truth and and lovely things about God. Yes. But he also died (laughs) on the cross and in your place and for your sins, for all of us. And so they, they fulfilled the commission. So listen, as we conclude this morning... Let me try to answer the question I posed earlier. Let me try. Let me tell you why I believe most people, most people, because there is a narrow gate and a wide road, right, that Jesus talked about, why most people cannot or will not believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And the answer, I think, is something like this. If it's true that Jesus Christ, this Jesus of Nazareth, the historical figure who was crucified by the Romans and was resurrected three days later, and that that resurrected Jesus, therefore, is God in the flesh, if this is all true, then there are some very serious implications, aren't there? Not just for Christians, but for everyone. There are some really serious implications to that. Ultimately, if this is true, and obviously I believe historically, biblically, and in every way possible it is true, then that means this. Your sins are legit. My sins are legitimate. The sins of the whole world are real and are legitimate, really are needing to be dealt with. And that they are completely dealt with in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Serious consequence. If Jesus was resurrected from the grave, then what that resurrection means is death has been defeated because the Bible tells us death is a result of sin. That's good news. Therefore, death has now been defeated in the person 
in the person, the only person, and the work of Jesus Christ, which means your sin, my sin, is a very serious thing. It's very serious, and it required his death. It required his blood being shed in your place and my place. Huge implications, right? Huge. As we've learned already in the gospel series, Jesus has come to put things right. Everything in our world, we, we, we learned this a few weeks ago, is not the way that it should be, right? We, we all agree to that. Everyone that I ever talk to and say, are things the way they should be? People go, no, <laughs> right? No. And, and then the answer to that is, why are things not the way they should be? And people can ponder for a second, but the bottom line is, when you think about it, the truth is, they're not the way they should be because of you, because of me, because of all of us. And so the truth is, we know that our world puts so much faith in facts and science which cannot and will never answer the three biggest problems that we all face. But that's what our world's all about today, the evidence-fact-based world, isn't it? It's all about, you know, prove to me the resurrection. Well, the three biggest problems that we can't face and we learned about a few weeks ago are these, the problems of evil, the problem of suffering, and the problem of death. Wait a second. Haven't they been dealt with? That's exactly what Jesus has been doing. From the moment that he arrived on earth, and especially since he began his public ministry at age 30, he's been dealing with just that, all three of those things. He's been reversing the way things are and turning them into the way that they should be. He's dealt with the devil. He defeated him. He's dealt with. He's done. Oh, yeah, he can still nag at us. But he's done. He's dealt with. Suffering... He can heal us. Ultimately, He will heal us. Death? Where's your sting? In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there's no death. I remember a few years ago, Janice and I were in Turkey, and one of the uh, men there, uh, um, um, he, say, he claimed, he says, I'm not the Apostle Paul. And most of us kind of laughed because he's kind of like the Apostle Paul. He's just an amazing, on-fire, gospel-breathing church planter in Turkey whose life has been threatened many, many times, been thrown in prison many times. But at one point he was talking about, you know, all of the bombings and potential uh, uh, of his life being taken. And last time he was put in prison, he was beaten and his life was threatened. And all of a sudden, there's like 20 of us church planters in the room with our wives and we're huddling in the basement of, a, of this hotel because, you know, Christians shouldn't be doing this in Istanbul right? And we're down there, and all of a sudden, he looks around, he can see all of us are kind of like getting a little, and he goes, hey, guys, 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 just a second. You do know we don't die. And I'm like, I'm a pastor, right? And I go, what are you talking about? And he goes, you know we don't die. Oh, yeah, our bodies will die, but we don't die. It's been dealt with. It's been dealt with. Do you believe that? Listen, if all this is true and based on what we believe is true, yes. And the fact that I'm coming at this from the perspective of someone who wants it to be true versus someone who doesn't maybe want to be true, then my question for you is this. Other than this, what hope do you really have? Other than this, what hope do we have? In this life, but especially after this life, what hope do we have? Is it rational to put your hope in, in, listen, in a bunny rabbit who digs for eggs? 
But that, that's what we have to do. Listen, what we have to do in our world today is if, if you refuse, if you can't get there about the resurrection of a man from the dead who is God, who created everything that's all around us, the beauty and the majesty and the power of everything that's around us, and you can't believe that he can die and resurrect from the dead, but what, what do you got to do? Well, you got to invent bunny rabbits and men in red suits. You've got to. You've got to do that. And every other idol that we make in our world, you've got to make those things up. You have to. So listen, if you've come here today and it's Easter and you're like, okay, man, listen, uh, some of this is making some sense to me, but I don't know. You don't know what I'm actually guilty of. Nobody really knows what I'm guilty of. Well, listen, like me, you're guilty of much. Like all of us, you're guilty of much before God. But the good news is this. The gospel, the life of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection proves this more than anything else. We can't earn our way to God. Amen? Hallelujah? We can't earn our way to God. We can't. If you could earn it, if you could save yourself, then everything that Jesus did was for nothing. That wouldn't make much sense. The resurrection is evidence then that what occurred on Friday was Jesus absorbing all of God's wrath, all of the punishment necessary and required for your sins and my sins toward those who would repent and believe. So now when God looks at us, when he now looks at us in Christ and our faith in him, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, there's no condemnation. He just looks at us and he just sees his son whom he loves. It's a beautiful picture. There's none. No condemnation. Receive that. If you repent and believe, you will receive God's mercy and grace. If you haven't already done that, do that today. This is what we're celebrating. We're, we're celebrating that gift, that Jesus was raised from the grave, defeating death, purchasing our souls, adopting us as sons and daughters, given the same inheritance that he has and has always had and will always had, forgiving us completely, but only to those who believe and by faith embrace that grace. Repent of their sins. Repent of your sins. God has made a way. Receive it. Believe it, enjoy it. Pray with me, would you?